episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and you can find the Needless Things Podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. Please spread the word, download them, rate them, do whatever you gotta do, and at needlessthingssite.com, where not only can you find the podcast, but five days a week, you can find original thought-provoking pop culture-related content from myself and the Needless Things Irregulars. Everything from toy reviews to movie commentary to this week on Wednesday, I published my monthly rundown of previews, the guide to comics. That is the comic shop catalog where you can go to your local comic shop, pick one of these up, and place all of your orders for upcoming products. And I go through that thing and make comments about various products in there and what I think of them, whether it be good or bad. It's one of the most popular posts on the site. So if you got a chance, go to needlessthingssite.com, look at what went up this Wednesday and check it out. But of course, Thursday, uh, we had yesterday, for those of you listening as the podcast has gone up, Mr. Jerry Chandler has put up a thought-provoking new piece. And uh, Monday, Christina put up a book review. We got all kinds of different stuff going on on the site every single day of the week. No links to other sites, articles, or any of that kind of nonsense, or at least no doing that and calling it a post. So today we are going to be talking in the bulk, uh, the main portion of the show about James Bond theme songs. Myself and Mike Gordon of New Legend Productions and of the ESO Network sat down and we went through all 24 of the James Bond, the official Ion Productions James Bond theme songs. And it was fun. It was it was a good talk, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it, especially if you're James Bond enthusiasts. But before we get to that, I want to talk one more time about Joe Lanta, which is going on now, pot- potentially, if you haven't waited too long to listen to this show uh, that is March 12th and 13th at the Marriott Century Center in Atlanta, Georgia. You can go to jolanta.org to get all the details. It is not only the biggest and best toy show in the Southeast, it is also uh, just a big convention. There are panels going on. There's a rock and roll show featuring Radio Cult going on Saturday night. And Needless Things will be hosting a toy panel Sunday at 2 p.m. Toy Stories, which is going to be one of our ongoing series of panels where myself and other guests sit down and tell stories related to specific toys from our lives. And we also encourage the audience to bring their own toys in to share their stories. And that will be a future episode of the Needless Things podcast. Uh, probably next week's episode, actually, unless something catastrophic occurs, in which case, I don't know what the heck next week's is going to be. And I have just scheduled something very special for the 100th episode of the Needless Things podcast that is coming up two weeks from today if you are listening to this on March the 11th, uh, as I hope you are, because why not listen to this thing as soon as it goes up and rate it too, right? 
Uh, but no, episode 100 is, is going to be very special for me. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And it's, it is both a callback, a look at the present, and a look towards the future. It's, it's a very special interview that I've been wanting to do for a while. And now was the right time for episode 100. So I hope you guys enjoy it. What else is going on? Oh, so my quest for Tendril is almost at an end. I've talked a few times on the show about my desire. Uh, I'm, I'm working on my Inhumanoids collection, uh, the, the line of 80s toys. If you don't know about it, Google it, and you'll see some of the coolest toys ever produced. Uh, I've got two of the three big monsters. I've got several of the smaller items, that I, and I'm still looking for a good number of those. But Tendril is the third big monster, and, and he has been elusive. I've been looking for one uh, at a good price, and in good condition, and that's a tough combination to find, but fortunately, one of the Jolanta vendors, the guy that I actually bought Decompose, another of the large monsters uh, bought from last year at Jolanta, contacted me and said, hey man, I listened to the podcast, and I've got a tendril that I'm bringing to the show, and we worked out a trade, so in just a couple of days here, uh, tomorrow maybe, if you're listening, or a few days ago, if you're listening in the future, but I'll, I'll have a tendril, and <laughs> I am so happy. I told him, I was like, I don't know what I'm more excited about, that I'm going to have a tendril or that you listen to the show. Because I love knowing that people listen to the show. Which, by the way, if you have any ideas for the show, thoughts for the show, if you have a thing that you want to pitch, if you have an interesting story, I want you on the Needless Things podcast. Come on the show. Talk about toys. Talk about movies. Do you work at toys? Do you work in movies? Do you just have great stories about those things? Any pop culture stuff? Whatever. I don't care. I want to talk to you. Drop me an email at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com or join the Needless Things podcast Facebook group, which you should do that anyway, just to keep in touch with me and the rest of the Needless Things Irregulars. Give us your input. Give us your tips about what to talk about. All that kind of stuff. Uh, contact us. Let me know what you want to hear, what you want to talk about, and uh, we'll boogie. We'll put it up on a show. Let me know. So without further ado, it is time to sit down with Mr. Mike Gordon, one of my absolute favorite people in the world to talk to, my brother from another mother, and talk about the music, uh, the theme songs of the James Bond franchise. Dig it. <laughs> So I will start by saying uh, I'm on this whole Bond kick now. This happens with anything that you're into in a pop culture way. You know, when there's a new thing, you get more excited about the thing, even if your fandom has been big for it. I love, you know, I love Star Wars. I love G.I. Joe. Uh, and I've spent my whole life loving James Bond. But Spectre, uh, I loved it. Rekindled that love. It, well, it did in a way that the other Daniel Craig movies, as much as I enjoyed them, uh, they were very gritty. My, my James Bond, the Bond that I will always hold dearest is Roger Moore. Because as a kid, he's the Bond I grew up with. Uh, I've talked before on NeedlessThingsSite.com and on the podcast about these specific movies that I went to see with my mom 
that like Transformers I saw in the theater and yes, she fell asleep before they said shit, which was good for me. I saw Supergirl in the theater with my mom, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and for her, for your eyes only, Octopussy and A View to a Kill. I saw in the theater with my mom. Roger Moore will always be very special to me because those were special times and special things I got to experience. So Daniel Craig's Bond being really the polar opposite of Roger Moore's Bond, I love him. I think he's great. I get what they're doing, but I, I never – it didn't uh, – I enjoy watching the movies, but they just didn't have that specialness. But watching Spectre, I loved Spectre because it made the three prior movies so much more meaningful because you saw – Oh, they've been building to this. They've been coming together for this big payoff. And for me, the payoff was worth it. You could argue that Spectre is his first Bond movie because that's where he first plays Bond. Yes. All the other ones he's leading up to that. Uh, and uh, certainly Spectre makes Quantum of Solace watchable. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in ways that we didn't think possible. Um, uh, because otherwise it's just forgettable. I mean, I remember coming out of there going, eh, but when I watched it after Skyfall, when I watched Quantum of Solace, I was like, wow, this fit, like it's a puzzle and it's fitting together. Um, and Spectre, you know, really is, I mean, with the introduction of Blofeld and, and all that goes along with that, it becomes, a, a proper Bond film, so to speak. So, yes, I mean, the return of, of Bond, much like the same one that we got in 1962 when this whole series started. Well, and even more than that, uh, having, and what got me on this whole kick, I loved Spectre, and as a result, I was breathlessly, uh, waiting for the Blu-ray release to see it again and see all the special features. And then once I got that, uh, I wanted that Blu-ray Bond box set that has the 23 prior movies and a spot for Spectre, which I really appreciated. Uh, so I waited and Amazon eventually dropped the price on that thing to the point where, you know, it, it started off at a good price because you're talking about 23 movies that are all entertaining at the least. At the least. At the I mean, least. we're talking about, you know, one of the most influential uh, film series of all time. For I mean, sure. yeah, I mean, this is, you know, say what you want to about the consistency, the quality of it, but the fact of the matter is, is that ever since 1962, like, James Bond has influenced pop culture as well as, uh, you know, the movie, the film cinematic landscape. And while I have my favorites, there are a lot of Bond movies that I haven't seen as often as I've seen other ones because we all have favorites from the franchise. And there's some, you know, when they do marathons on sci-fi or other, other television channels, there's some movies that just don't get as much play. That's just how it pans out uh, for licensing reasons or whatever the case may be. And then there, it turns out, there's a Bond movie that I had never even seen, and that was on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I had kind of disregarded previously because George Lazenby is Bond. It's the only time he plays Bond. And word of mouth was always, eh, it's not great. But I got to experience it, and not only was I able to enjoy this weird slice of Bond history for what it was, 
but watching on Her Majesty's Secret Service gives the Daniel Craig Bond movies a lot more impact because what I my takeaway was somebody looked at that singular Bond movie and wanted to expand on that narrative because uh spoiler alert for those listening if you have not watched a movie uh <laughs> that is 50 years old almost like you just did <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh if I recommend you skip the next five minutes and go watch on Her Majesty's Secret Service. For those of you that have seen it, you know. It'll take a lot more than five minutes. <laughs> well, but you can pause this thing. Right. Uh, for those who know, James Bond falls in love and gets married. And then the end of the movie, his wife is murdered by Blofeld's assassin. As opposed to the normal Bond standard of him being in some, like, two-person submersible with a British flag on the side and he's getting ready to get it on with some hot lady, his freaking wife is murdered. It's very different. It's a standout entry in the James Bond movies. And I realized, like, wow, I, I really feel like somebody watched this and wanted to really explore the themes of on her Majesty's secret service and, and give it more than one movie, because honestly it's worth more than one movie. And, and I feel like the Craig movies in the end, when you take them all together uh, are worth it. I, I think absolutely. And I think uh, you're right. The influence is there because I think, you know, um, when Daniel Craig was, uh, cast as bond and they wanted to go a different direction than pierce i think they they looked ahead and thought well how you know the cold war is pretty much well at that time the cold war was pretty much dead you know it was a different landscape and uh they you know they they made them i think their answer was to make them more personal yeah i i well and they also you know, one of the the hot things now is that origin. Let's explain the character because in Doctor No, James Bond is essentially already James Bond. He's he's had experiences. Uh, he is already 007. and it's a hot trend over the last ten fifteen years to go explore origins of a character. Everything from Hannibal Rising. Uh, to other examples that I can't think of up, off the top of my head, but you guys are smart. You know what I'm talking about. And they wanted to do that with James Bond, which is why Casino Royale does not open with the James Bond theme song. They don't play it until the end when they feel like they've earned it, uh, right. which makes it powerful. And uh, Spectre is the first one of the Craig ones to have the um, the the barrel. Yes. Uh, gun barrel sequence as if like saying we've earned it now. This is, this is bond. You're going to get your barrel uh, sequence. You're going to get your intro. You're going to get your super villain Blofeld. You're going to get your white cat. You're going to get the whole works. Well, and you're, um, you're going to so, get, and you're going to get your sort of signature heavy. Like Dave Bautista did a fantastic job as, you know, Jaws or, you right. know, any of the heavies through the years, he was that guy and he was great. Yeah, absolutely. So it does harken back to, um, uh, there's a lot of, I, I think the, the, the beautiful thing about Spectre is, is that there's a lot of, um, pieces of, uh, the whole franchise in there. 
um, it brings it really, it's, it, a, a lot of it together. Um, you know, and, uh, so I can understand why, uh, when watching Spectre, you'd want to sort of, you know, bask in the glory of the, of the classics again. Um, definitely. Um, and that, that Blu-ray set is amazing. Unfortunately, I did not get it, uh, uh, after, I got it before, uh, Skyfall. So it had a place for Skyfall. I gotcha. But Spectre is the first one that I bought that didn't have a place with my set. So I felt bad for it. So I made up for it and I got the Steelbook edition. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, dude, I'm such a sucker for Steelbooks. It's stupid. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, but, I will go out of my way for Steelbooks. Um, so I definitely understand that. And, and you know, um, the, the movies look great on Blu-ray. They just hold up so well, I think. They're just so beautiful. And, you know, there's inconsistencies there to be sure. But, I mean, really, there's nothing like this series out there, period. I mean, no other film series has had quite the impact that the Bond movies had for over 50 years. Well, and, and not only the longevity, but like, like I said, at the very least, they're entertaining. There is not a single Bond movie that is unwatchable. They're all at the very least entertaining. And there's, believe me, there's some bad ones. Don't (laughs) get me wrong. Matter of fact, earlier today, I watched a bad one, but I'll, I'll hold on to that because what we're not here today. We have to touch on the history of Bond a little bit, obviously, but what we're here tonight to talk about are the James Bond theme songs. Because as I've been immersing myself in the Bond mythology and, and the spirit of what James Bond is all about, the theme songs are very, uh, a very important part of all of that. And I just want to take a look at these songs that play during the opening titles of the James Bond movies because it's, it's, they're these slices of pop culture. There, you can look back and see where the world was at the time that these movies came out. The, uh, I was really jazzed when you asked me, uh, to, uh, invited me to participate in this particular, uh, segment because, uh, this topic is something that is near and dear to me. I mean, I grew up with, there, let's, let's put it this way. I mean, both of us, uh, James Bond has been around. He's older than both of us. This yes. franchise is older than both of us. So there was never a time in our lives where there wasn't James Bond, uh, which is amazing to think. Um, and uh, I love these movies uh, and I love the music behind these movies. I was, uh, as a kid, I was very interested in uh, film scores, uh, John Williams, Big, big, big influence. Just I uh, loved uh, the music of Star Wars, Raiders of Lost Ark, Jaws, Close Encounters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, Jerry Goldsmith as well. And, of course, uh, John Barry. Uh, that music is just incredible to listen to on its own. Um, and even so far as – I mean I bought – I have all the James Bond soundtracks at least up and through Roger Moore to – I have all those on vinyl. And – uh, I, I would even record the movies, uh, with an audio microphone when they aired them on ABC back in the day on Sundays when it took like four hours to show a Bond movie, uh, because I was that interested in, uh, well, it was also a time where VCRs were still kind of 
new uh, boy I'm old. Well, and that was the th- <laughs> that was the thing though that sun- Sunday night programming because you had wonderful world uh, excuse me wonderful that's say that five times fast <laughs> wonderful world of Disney uh, which was event television. In the uh, probably the late seventies, but certainly the early eighties, and I think the Bond films kind of alternated with that because they were both on ABC. Very different. Uh, uh, very different, but <laughs> different. You know, was, my my, uh, my mom watched. Uh, you know, she watched them with me, but there were times where she looked at me like, I don't know if you're old enough for these. <laughs> well, and that's that's why you know going to the theater <laughs> to see those with my mom was like the the first nipple. The first lady nipple I ever saw uh, was in For Your Eyes Only and sitting there next to my mom. So I, you know, I've got issues. <laughs> the, uh, but the soundtracks are amazing. Uh, the, the, the choices that went into uh, making these, you know, I haven't actually listened, sat down and listened to all the themes in a long time. So long, in fact, that when I put together my playlist, I was surprised at like, oh, this is going to take a while. <laughs> like, it used to be that I could just, you know, oh, I'll spend about 45 minutes or an hour listening to this uh, CD of all the uh, the opening themes of Bond. That'll be fun. Well, sure. Back uh, then there were like, what, 14 of them? Yeah, exactly. Now it's like, oh, this is going to take a little while. So, uh, And it's such an interesting path to go down. I mean, as a... As a collection of music just by itself, you're just like, it, it it's full of peaks and valleys, which yes. I'm sure we'll get to. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we are going to run down the list of all 24 James Bond theme songs. And these are the, <laughs> we're not songs. including the bastard Bond films. <laughs> no, 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 we're not. We will not be talking about Never Say It Ever Again. Uh, but these are the songs that play during those – well, most of them are the songs that play during those magical opening titles where uh, crazy images are project, projected onto nude ladies. Uh, but that was not the case for this very first theme. And what I'm going to do here for you, the listeners, I'm going to play three legally acceptable seconds of each of the songs. And then Mike and I will discuss those songs. So we're going to start at the beginning – with the very first and and undoubtedly most iconic theme song from Dr. No. All right, that is three legally acceptable seconds. And it still gives me chills. I know, just that little bit of the James Bond theme uh, b- performed by the John Barry Orchestra but uh mike i think you can give us a little more background than that well it's it, the song the score composer of uh this track is monty norman uh and it always will be uh, it's been contested more than a few times in court but uh monty norman is the name of the composer of the james bond theme the official composer uh but the arrangement it, by in, John- in layman's terms the guy that gets the money Absolutely. And it's not that he didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, he did come up with a basic beat of it, but it was really John Barry's uh, arrangement of this piece of music that made it as powerful as it as it was back in 1962. And just as powerful as when I sat in the theater and and watched uh, Spectre and 
the screen went dark and then all of a sudden the white dot, uh, the, the gun barrel appeared and the music started and I, I, I get chills. It the, just is a powerful piece of music. It, it is. I, I get the same nerd chills from the James Bond theme that I get from the Star Wars theme, from the Superman theme, which, yes, John Williams, very powerful in my life. But, uh, you know, the Bond theme for not being – well, I guess a lot of the Bond is pretty sci-fi, but, but <laughs> for not being as genre content as many of the things that I love, it, it provokes that reaction from me. When that kicks in, uh, one of the many of interpretations of it, because it's been redone many times over the years, but we all know that cool guitar riff, and when those horns kick in, uh, my gosh, whoo! It's a powerful piece of music, and and you know uh, certainly part of the reason that I get chills for it. It's just nostalgia reasons, just like Star Wars. However, sure. this piece of music is so powerful that um, it would change the pop culture film landscape for and TV and entertainment forever. I mean, after 1962, whenever anybody made a spy movie, there was a thought that um, let's make the music like the james bond theme but legally not the james bond theme oh sure you you cannot do a secret agent slash spy type of thing without having like a smooth orchestral guitar uh, with the tone of what the james bond theme is yeah just that do 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 that just right there. I mean, this is awful for people who have to listen to this. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm tone deaf. But uh, just that sort of like smoothness. It's it's powerful. It's smooth. It rocks with the guitar. It's sexy. It's everything James Bond is it, that you know that you want him to be. I mean, it it just embodies Bond. It's it's perfect. Well, and and that is it is. It fits with every single James Bond movie because it's smooth, it's sexy, it has that explosive, when those horns kick in, it has that explosive action, that, like it's very big and grand, but it's also still cool. Uh, it's an extraordinary piece of music. When this song hits on your playlist in your car, your your you know your your foot gets a little heavier on the gas. Yes. yes. You you take those turns a little sharper. You tend to look in the rearview mirror a little bit more often as to, as, to, as to who's following you and who's behind you. And you it, think and your Buick is a lot cooler than it, it is. Yeah. From the inside, you are driving the uh, well the Aston Martin, the Lotus, the BMW. You pick one. You're driving it, right? Right. Right. It's not till the song's over and you get out of your car and you're like, yeah. Damn. <laughs> damn it. I don't have any of those cars. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good. So good. It so, really is. It's so, a um, right off the bat, we've got this wonderful piece of music. So it's so wonderful that whenever, you know, I'm in situations like this where I'm talking about my favorite Bond movies, you know, you talk about your favorite Bond girls, your favorite Bond villains, your favorite Bond this, that, the other thing, favorite Bond themes. You have to exclude this one because it always will win. Yeah, when we at the end of the show we'll run down our favorites, but this is not I mean, why even include this? Because this is a seminal piece of music. This is up there 
with the greatest – if I had to name my top five themes, this would undoubtedly be in it. This is a landmark piece of it, cinematic scoring. And it's so amazing to me that they got it right the first time. I mean – how often does that happen? Um, I can only think of really like a couple of occasions really that come to mind where, you know, when it, that a Bond movie starts now the same way that it did back in 1962. Right. And it's sort of like it was with the same visuals and the same theme that is so perfect. It really reminds me a lot of uh, it's comparable to Doctor Who in that way. Well, of course, uh, of course. Where, where, you know, you listen, you watch that first episode of Doctor Who and that visual and that theme is right there, uh, and right there from the beginning and it sets the tone for the whole franchise. Well, even Star Trek, which is one of the few franchises with, you know, even close to the same kind of longevity as those two, the themes throughout the shows are very different. You, you yeah, do not they, have a consistent Star right. Trek theme. They, and with the movies as well, they change it up. It's it's very different. They That's the different experience. But with Bond, no, no. I mean, until recently when they decided to kind of go lead up to it. And uh, they had a good reason for it. And that's interesting. Actually, that's just a sign of how powerful this theme is, is they felt they had to earn it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. And they did, I think. So, yeah, I, I uh, agree. Absolutely. So the other thing about this, too, is that, you know, I mean, even though we're talking about audio themes and audio music, um, it has to be said that it was a perfect complement to the uh, gun barrel sequence that was designed by Maurice Binder. Um, that was perfect. Um, Maurice would take a uh, he would not be involved with the next two movies, but then he would come back. And do I think the uh, opening credit sequences of almost uh, just a, about oh, I think over a dozen of the Bond movies, and that you so you all the template is there. Uh, obviously, starting with the next one, but so you get you know the gun barrel, and then you get like the sort of adventure, and then like a little teaser, and then you get this beautiful sort of credit sequence with uh, a, a great song. Yeah, it's well, – I mean there's just no the, – the combination. Really, Dr. No in its entirety is amazing for the way that it adapted the works of Ian Fleming and brought this super spy to life in such a cool, amazing way. I mean it's, it's remarkable because think Absolutely. about how many times things have been adapted from literature, from books, from whatever – <laughs> and they don't get it right. Right, exactly. And they nailed it. Not only did they nail it, I think they surpassed the the original content. Because the James Bond of the books really wasn't as debonair and as appealing as Sean Connery ended up making the character. Yeah, I don't know if the James Bond of the books, it, 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 the theme, the James Bond theme, I don't think of that as being the James Bond uh, the, of the books theme. This is the James Bond of the movies theme. Yes. Yes, I agree. Uh, so, after polishing the knob of the James Bond theme for as long as we have, it is time to move on to the sequel, because at this point, uh, there's not a James Bond franchise as such. For Musha with Love is a sequel to Dr. No, and they, they didn't, you know... Dr. No was a huge success, 
But until you nail the sophomore effort, you don't know that you have a franchise. So going into From Russia With Love, we get this theme song from Matt Monroe. Damn it, I did the same thing I did last time. (laughs) And I'm going to leave this in for the listeners. This is our second effort at this. We had a little issue. But now, from Matt Monroe, here's From Russia With Love. And that's as much as I can play without legal action. I almost heard that. Transpiring. Did you? Uh, Just very faintly. It might be a volume thing. So, Matt Monroe... Uh, actually opened me up to male vocalists on James Bond themes because to me, it's traditionally, you know, most of your bigger, and we'll, we'll get into this as we move down the list, but most of your bigger themes are done by Shirley Bassey, uh, by female vocalists. Uh, a lot, a lot of the better known themes, or at least the ones I grew up with. But so when Chris Cornell, did the one for Casino Royale. I was like, why is Chris Cornell doing this? This is really weird. You know, he doesn't sound female. Right. Well, he kind of does a little bit. (laughs) Uh, But in previous, even in recent years before that, we had garbage, we had Madonna, lots of female vocalists making their mark and, and being notable. But going back and watching these movies over again, I watched from Russia with love and Matt Monroe has this fantastic, uh, romantic ballad, that still fits very much into the James Bond mold. And this is where the idea of a pop, at the time, a pop singer doing the theme song started with this second movie. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know Jack Squad about Matt Monroe, but he was at the time like, oh, we're going to have this popular artist do this song. He's a crooner uh, and a great <laughs> yes. one. He, yes. he actually, uh, for the longest time, and, and every once in a while I, I listen to this, and I, my first instinct is to think it's Frank Sinatra. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing they were going for. Yeah, I, well, it totally is because you, you know, at the time, this is 1963, I yep. believe. And at the time, Sinatra's on top of the world. Like, I don't think you even asked Frank Sinatra to do this. Not at this point. Um, I, I think, you know, later on, uh, probably in another three years, you might have got him, but yeah, not at this point. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he was the man, but Matt Monroe does a fantastic job. Uh, it's, it's not explosive, but it is, it is very sexy. It is very smooth and for the sophomore effort. And also this is the first time that they have the trademark James Bond titles, I wonder too if they they were interested in him because he was British. It's entirely possible. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, they were. Uh, it's interesting because later on there yeah, was were. an effort to Americanize James Bond. They were actually looking at American actors. Uh, Adam West was considered at one point to be James Bond. Uh, that's what Adam West says. No, no, no. That's, no, I know. I that's know. A, well, yeah, right, right. Uh, exactly how how you know serious they were. I don't know, but uh, well, no. In looking at the special features and whatnot on this set, that's a thing. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. It is more than just Adam West saying it, but 
Uh, there was an effort later on to Americanize James Bond, but I think initially they very much wanted to keep him, uh, as an Anglo thing. Like they, they wanted him to be very British and, and, you know, rightfully so, they were very proud of his Britishness. And, and I absolutely think that that is a, uh, a deal breaker. Like, sure. To me, uh, he needs to be British. Yeah, like, I don't. Know, there's a lot of, uh, controversy about you know maybe what color skin he should have in the in the future when you cast him but to me i don't care about that he just has to be british yes absolutely and and this you know matt the character now you know if an american can pull it off fine but the the character has to be british yes yes and and honestly uh they they've played very loose in the continuity you know there is no expressly oh james 007 James Bond is a designation that's given to different people over the years. That that has never been established in the continuity. Uh, and until it is, I want my James Bond to be a white British guy. Uh, I, I, you know, the idea of Idris Elba being James Bond is very appealing to me. But at that point, I I want to I want a little more clarity of yes, 007 is a designation that's given to different people. Uh, I, I don't just all of a sudden like, oh, James Bond is black now. I don't care well, that he is, but I need some kind of acknowledgement of, okay, yes, Sean Connery was an agent known as James Bond, and so was Roger Moore. And so, like, they have to address it if they're going to make that drastic of a change. I, I think you're right. And, you know, um, with all the other uh, spy you know, the influence of James Bond with all the other spy movies, TV shows, bits of entertainment that we've had. We've gotten so many different versions of that anyway that I think, you know, for this one to be as pure as it is. And I don't mean that in a, you know, an Aryan you sort of way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean that from a, you know, a, a, an original st- a character standpoint kind of way. Sure. That uh, for it to be <laughs> that uh, uh, I am blushing right now because I just was like, wow, that was really racist, Mike. Um, that's probably but the it's most not. racist thing I've said today. Well, um, it, but it's not because, <laughs> yes, absolutely. One of two things. Cast Idris Elba as James Bond and give a good storyline reason why all of a sudden it's Idris Elba. Or two – just cast cast Idris Elba as some kind of international super spy and don't call him James Bond. But it's got to be one or the other. You can't just all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm a guy. I had a problem when they replaced uh, on I Dream of Genie when they switched actors. Like, I don't like switching actors for things without a good storyline reason. So... Well- Throughout the franchise, though, they've had made no bones. There's a history of it. There's a history of changing. I mean, Felix Leiter has been played by a different guy. Yeah, and I'll I'll be honest, that annoys me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, oh, that's Felix this time. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's Felix. I think he's only played by the same guy like twice. Right. Right. Well, I, uh, because Jack Lord was the The first Felix Leiter. But because of Hawaii Five O, he could not come back. Uh, but but when you're talking about the a main character, your protagonist, you got to give me something, people. Yep. So, uh, but to 
I think we covered from Russia with Love. <laughs> I think so. We've and gone more. far beyond just the theme song. By, Absolutely. Uh, very competently done by Matt Monroe. It is time to move on to one of the most notable James Bond theme songs, possibly uh, aside from the original theme song itself, the best known one, and that is Goldfinger by Shirley Bassey, uh, which I will play three seconds of right now. Okay, I thought she was going to say Goldfinger, so I let it go on a little longer than I should have. But we instantly recognize him. We all know where that's headed to that to that sexy throaty Goldfinger. We all know. Absolutely. Holy shit. <laughs> it's it this is, you know, they they toyed around with it and Dr. No and and From Russia with Love are are beautiful efforts. But the third time's the charm. I mean, they they knock it out of the park. Well, and this is the one that is a full-on charting pop song. Yeah, and, well, I'm I was referring to just the movie as a whole. I mean, this oh, is yeah, yeah. this is where they're like, you know, it's done cooking. This is perfection. This is this is the big one. This is everything came together, and it's including the score. Um, Shirley Bassey, uh, getting her to do the vocals. She's perfect for it. Um, uh, she's so perfect that they'll hire her again two more times. Yes. Uh, and she's the only person to not only do it a second time, but to do it a third as well. Well, and, and what's funny is hers are the most notable of the theme songs. And we'll agree to disagree on that, but, uh -oh. I mean, but this one, this one is like a template. Like when, when, when you're now, when you think, Oh, I've been hired to do a James Bond theme. You're like, Oh, I better, you know, do something like Goldfinger. Like well, it's just, and, and not only is it Shirley Bassey being incredible, but it has, it uses that James Bond theme from Dr. No. It's incorporated into the score, which is not something that's done uh, for years again. Well, that's not true. It shows up in Thunderball. It shows up in a lot of the, uh, I think, my favorite ones. Like this is where. Well, they, but it's they, not as it's not as obvious as it is. No, here. it's not as obvious because it, I, I would say the only other time that it's it's as obvious a not a sample but a use of it. Is licensed to kill. Yeah, um, there's others. I mean, because, like, but but those are direct lifts of that James Bond theme, right? And this is also uh, where they the the song like they they try to fit. Obviously, it's so it's difficult. You know, you're coming up with music and music that you want to be powerful and even like hit the charts, right? Yes, for Russell with love. That's a pretty easy sell. You know, I'm just going to tell a love story from Russia with love. It has, you know, I, I get a crooner on there. This will do pretty well. I can't only imagine sitting down in a room and going, okay, we need to make a song about Goldfinger. Like, how do you make that work? Uh, and, and in such a way that it's, that it's musically cool, that it will sell and that'll obviously complement the movie, which is probably one of the most important things it needs to do as well. And 
you know, they, they get it right. I mean, it's, it's outstanding. It's a great song in and of itself, but it's a song that you cannot hear without thinking of the movie. Some of the other, uh, James Bond movies songs that we're, we're going to come across are, are songs are great songs in them themselves, but you don't necessarily think of the movie when you hear the song. Well, I'll tell you what lets me down about some of the more recent ones. And, and, and we'll, I, I guess once we get to the ones at the end, we will have talked about everything already. <laughs> uh, but it actually disappoints me when the song does not have the same title as the movie. Yeah. I think that should be a requirement. I, I really do. I, I mean, there's been, agree. there's been some good exceptions that we'll get to, but I think, uh, I think, you know, if you're going to do a James Bond song, you have to like incorporate the title somewhere in there. Yes. I absolutely agree. So Goldfinger, fantastic. I mean, there, there's really not a lot to say about it. It's iconic. It is the movie that, that gave us the indication. Well, not us because you and I weren't alive yet. But gave the indication that this is a franchise that's going to be around for a long, long time. And it's the first one that is – this is interesting too. I thought when I was listening to it, it's the first one that really we're singing about the bad guy. Yes. We're and not singing about the hero. Right. We're singing praises of the bad guy. Um, you're not going to see that again until 1974. Are you, cause I thought our next one was about the bad guy more. I, well, and here's the other th- interesting thing too, because you can play around with it. Like, yeah, uh, I think th- these songs, when you listen to the lyrics, you're kind of like, well, this is about the bad guy, but I think it also applies to James. Well, as well, and that's what, that's one of the things that makes Bond such an interesting character is he is so, you know, to a certain extent, amoral. Uh, there are a lot of themes that apply to both him and the villains of every movie. And you're right about the next one. It does sing about him, but it's doesn't, they don't name him. Yes. Like this is his name. Like we are like, <laughs> we are caught lately. This is like, we are praying at the altar of Auric Goldfinger. <laughs> uh, right, singing, right. Literally singing his praises. The next one is a little more ambiguous and uh we'll go ahead and get into it now Yeah, because I'm super excited. Nothing excites me more than the music of Tom Jones. And this is Tom Jones and James Bond combined for Thunderball. And it really takes an artist of Tom Jones's caliber to pull this off. <laughs> right. right. I mean, if you're like Thunderball, Here's I mean, our, you, uh, you think Goldfinger is a little tricky to like work in as a, uh, you know, kind of a, a cool lyric. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he does, as uh, as our three seconds of audio will not display. Yes, that was three seconds of <laughs> Thunderball by Tom Jones. I love Tom Jones. Uh, Me too. Me too. Some of the earliest albums, because my parents had a large collection of vinyl, and there were several Tom Jones albums in there. And granted, when I was a kid, I did not understand uh, that Tom Jones was a raging mountain of liquid sex. <laughs> but as an adult, I can't hear Tom Jones's voice without wanting to tear my clothes off and have intimate relations with the nearest object. Wow. Never been so glad to be on Skype. I, you're not kidding, buddy. 
I, I <laughs> man, Tom Jones is just if you listen to his voice and the way he presents words, I don't I can't imagine him saying a sentence without it being sexual. This guy yeah. could talk about like he could read the phone book and he would get panties thrown at him. <laughs> So Thunderball, he has the difficult task of making Thunderball sound sexy and cool, and he totally does. He totally does. Absolutely. I mean, he belts it out, and as only he can, and it's just it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, it's uh, as a follow up to Goldfinger. It's it's almost like he was taking Shirley Bassey's challenge of, oh, I made Goldfinger sexy, and he said, oh, honey, I'm going to make Thunderball even sexier. Yeah, and, but it's uh, it, the lyrics are ambiguous. I mean, you're right. Yeah. It does. It it definitely does. You know, it is talking about Blofeld, but it really is. Uh, you know, it it could easily apply to to James as well. But uh, another fantastic song, another song that is very indicative of the time period that it came out of, the era, the 60s. Uh, I mean, that's the swinging 60s. Uh, this is very much, you know, you look at Tom Jones, and uh, he was their next pop guy. And the fact that he did a Bond song is just fantastic and, and inevitable in a way. Yeah, and this is one that really couldn't have been done by a female vocalist. No, no, it absolutely couldn't have. Well, it would not have the same. It would not have the same it, right. gravitas. It, it would almost be upsetting <laughs> if done by a, a female. Uh, so, moving on, since we have to move on because we've got so many of these things to cover, uh, the next one by Nancy Sinatra. Which is very interesting. This is the one I mentioned, uh, or I, I mentioned in the original intro for this. I might not have mentioned in our re-recording. You Only Live Twice was one of the Bond movies that I had not seen as often as the others, perhaps only once before, watched again recently and had a lot of appreciation for. Uh, and this song, well, here's, here's our three seconds of You Only Live Twice by Nancy Sinatra. And once again, I gave you more than three seconds because I had to let you guys get into it a little bit. Uh, I've fallen in love with this song. It is one of those that reflects the theme and the setting of the movie so well. Because uh, You Only Live Twice, a lot of it takes place in an Asian setting. And this... This theme song has those tones so much, and Nancy Sinatra's voice is just incredible. Yeah, and it she really I, actually sings it with sort of uh, with a little bit of an Asian tone, uh, yes. I think, um, because it's very different. I mean, one of the reasons I got her this gig was uh, she was uh, still very popular from uh, her big single, "The Boots Are Made for Walking." And this is really different than that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Both very good songs, but very different. And it's uh, it's not a, you know, From Russia With Love is very romantic. 
Goldfinger uh, has a sensual tone to it, even though it's talking about the threat uh, that this man represents. It's still a very sexy song, and obviously Thunderball, come on, let's not kid ourselves about what Thunderball's about. Uh, But You Only Live Twice is almost a cautionary tone. It's still very sexy because Nancy Sinatra just has a, a beautiful voice. But it's, it's, there's a certain amount of contemplation to it, which is interesting because Connery was leaving the franchise after this movie. Uh, and, and, you know, the, I don't know that that was known at the time, but it's one of those things that adds a certain amount of, of import and power to the theme. Yeah, it, this is one of those ones that's, yeah, I don't, uh, it's a, this is a weird, I don't really think of, uh, this being Connery's last, I guess just because he, he, he continues them on, but of course. at the time, uh, I don't even know if they knew. No, no, I don't think they did, but, but it's one of those things that has taken on an extra meaning in retrospect. Yes, yes. And, and it's very interesting that it is You Only Live Twice, uh, <laughs> which Connery as Bond, well, technically, I would say he lived thrice. As James Bond, <laughs> because you only live twice. He left the franchise. Uh, he came back for Diamonds Are Forever, and then did another uh, weirdly unofficial James Bond movie, Is Never Say Never Again. Yeah. So technically, I would say he had three lives as Bond. But uh, this one, I, I just love this one. In revisiting it. This is one that I, I wasn't as familiar with, but I just adore uh, the orchestration, the composing of the music, and Nancy Sinatra's voice is just wonderful. Yeah, it, in addition to the um, you know Asian influences, though, it also just has that little like that. It's got like a Parisian Frenchness to it. Sure, sure. That that sort of like I don't know, like you're um, uh, you know walking around. France uh, near the Eiffel Tower or something and going to a little cafe or something. It has that feel to me. Well, and this one very much conjures the movie. Yes. Uh, So, as we just stated, Sean Connery left the franchise. But the franchise must continue because it is very profitable. People love it. And the next movie, the John Barry Orchestra, once again provided the opening titles because they felt it very important to have a powerful musical presence. John Barry himself said that with Sean Connery gone from the franchise, he felt that the continuity had to be stronger than ever before. Uh, and it's reflected in his score for this movie. But on Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's very interesting because after the pr- prior three movies of having the pop stars provide this introductory mu- music, John Barry comes back to provide a new theme song, uh, which we will have three seconds of right now. Uh, which is a more energetic a lot of these sound the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know. These three seconds are not going to help anybody. So here's the thing. You guys are going to have to go to the Needless Things Amazon store and purchase the James Bond collection of theme songs in order to appreciate this fully. But On Her Majesty's Secret Service is a much jazzier, 
updated James Bond. It still has sort of tones of that original James Bond theme, but man, it's, it's a solid, energetic theme song. And I dug the hell out of it going back and watching this movie for the first time. I was like, wow, this is strap in, get ready. And, and what's funny about this theme song is it follows George Lesenby's introduction. You know, the movie opens up and they don't show his face for a bit. And then we have our action sequence. Uh, the girl runs away from James Bond, which is in direct opposition to everything we know about 007. And Lazenby looks directly into the camera and says, this sort of thing didn't happen to the other guy. You're like, what, what the, what was that? And then it kicks into this jazzy, energetic, cool new theme song that we haven't heard before. Uh, but I dig it. Like this music grabbed me and, and it, and it, it served its purpose of saying, hang on, give us a chance. It's still James Bond, but we've got some new tricks to show you. Yeah. Um, uh, they're not jettisoning out the old theme uh there you know despite the fact that john barry might have wanted to let's (laughs) let's say goodbye to monty's piece of work right and i wonder i wonder if there wasn't an element of that there uh yeah i mean it's sort of like you know when uh when star trek went to the movies and jerry goldsmith did the new right star trek theme which i adore yeah uh and it was so popular it became the theme song to the next generation um uh and uh, it's that kind of, um, thing. The, both pieces of music are really good. I, I love, uh, the theme song, Tonner Majesty's Secret Service. I, I, I dig it. You're right. It, it has a groove to it. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's, uh, how do I put it? It's one of those songs that, like, I just, I, I kind of just bounce when I listen to it. It's not like you don't like sort of, it's, you don't think spy. Like with the original theme, it's not like you're in your car, you know, um, getting ready to like go into a car chase or anything like that. But it's it still provokes, I think, um, some uh, other uh, Europeanness uh, to to the franchise, the sort of like epicness to it, because it's a really good piece of music, and it and it just as easily could be. Could have been a a great theme song for um, somebody if if there hadn't already been a great theme song for this character already. Well, and see, that's how I feel. Uh, well, I guess it's a little different from how I feel because to me, it it's fantastic, but it falls into the same category as the latter day spy stuff, like in like Flint or or, or whatever, in that the influence of that original James Bond theme song is, is inescapable here. It is clearly the spawn of that to I, me. I, yeah. It's like a younger brother, a uh, younger yes. son or whatever. Uh, I, I love the piece of music so much that uh, I'm uh, as a, uh, in the score, cause it's, it, the themes go throughout the whole score of this movie. But unlike uh, the other themes, like the 007, there's a 007 theme that's established in, uh, from Russia with Love. Uh, and then there's other themes that are repeat, repeat throughout John Barry's work throughout most of the first half of the Bond franchise. 
unfortunately, Honor Majesty's Secret Service theme does not really appear anywhere else. I mean, it just kind of appears in this movie. Um, and it, well, it actually appears if you look at the later James Bond DVDs and Blu-rays. They use it in the special features all the time. They do. They yes. do. And I was very surprised. I, I mean, I geeked out when I saw the second official trailer for Spectre and the instrumental that was on, uh, like, in the background was this orchestral version, like, updated orchestral version of Honor Majesty's Circuit Service. Oh, and I instant, and I instantly went, Oh my God, that is so awesome. I'm like, I, I want that so bad. I don't know if it's actually in the soundtrack. I don't remember it being in the movie, but I'm like, where is this piece of music? Because I really want to, oh, to I, hear it. I didn't know. Well, obviously, because when it, whenever, you know, at the point Spectre was being marketed, I still hadn't seen on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So I, I certainly wouldn't have noticed that, but that's incredible. I'll have to hunt that down. Yeah, one of the trailers. I I think it was the second one that released, the one that we had so, like they showed a lot of footage of. It wasn't just the teaser, and uh, um, that was I, that was my takeaway. I was like, I like this movie because they they put this music on it, and wow. uh, that's the tone that I I want from this movie. And uh, that that was very it's very powerful. I do really like this. Uh, this is the um, uh, only. Uh, other time other than in Dr. No where we get a um an instrumental right okay. a purely instrumental piece so and, and but it's it, a powerful but it, one. it does um spark a trend though that Ooh. with a new bond usually i can only think of one exception usually has a really good theme song like a good like opening theme well and that's uh you know technically to them this was a new start for the franchise because they didn't yeah. know uh, that George Lazenby was going to leave. And, and you know, for anybody who has an issue with his performance, I, I enjoy it for what it is. And it's worth noting that he left. Uh, they, they did not say, oh, you weren't good enough or we didn't like you. He chose to leave the franchise before filming was even complete. Yeah, well, there was a there was a lot of weird things happening there. Uh, he really, he, and he admits it now. He he burned himself. Like he he lost that opportunity, and so they were looking for somebody else anyway. And you know, why not pay Sean a lot of money to do one more? Which they did, and that is what we are going to discuss next uh, with the return, uh, the second effort by Shirley Bassey. Diamonds are forever. Check it out. <laughs> oh boy, the first three seconds of these just don't give you much, but I, I hope it's enough for Bond aficionados to be sparked. Uh, and you guys probably already know what we're talking about anyway. I but, think this one does, uh, though, uh, you know, it doesn't start off with a bam, 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 right, right, really loud, like get your attention. It's this sort of soft thing, and you can hear the, 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 the instruments that sort of make it sound like sparkling diamonds. Yes. And, and that is what is so amazing about this one is it's another one that really embodies what the movie is about. Uh, and it's interesting because. Or at least what the title's about. It's a, well, right, right. It's interesting because, 
she's singing from a very vulnerable and wounded place. Like if you listen to the lyrics of this song, this is a hurt person. The diamonds are forever. They won't hurt you like people do. I know I can rely on diamonds to be what they are. I, it's, it's a powerful and, and really painful, almost like emo song. Like this is, this is early emo. But you would think from this song, sung so powerfully by Shirley Bassey, just like Goldfinger, that the villain of this movie would be a woman who, uh, has been burned by relationships and is only interested in material things, specifically diamonds. Sure, sure. Like, I mean, that, that would be a, a great Bond villain. Well, um, and, but I think that, you know, at this point, she, Shirley Bassey has been through the experience of doing the Bond theme. I think she's probably more comfortable by now. And I think what happened, is, and, and you know, I don't know. This is my speculation that she said, well, I have this song I want to write and I can fit it to this theme. So here we go. I don't think she wrote this though. Oh, did she not? I don't, I don't think so. I, I think have no idea. Was, yeah. I think this was, uh, I think she was just a hired gun. Um, and I, I think, you know, a great, beautifully, uh, songstress. I mean, she's, you know, she's not, she's known for her work in the Bond movies, obviously. She didn't really have, I mean, she had a career outside of Bond movies, but when people think of her, they think of This is what she's known for. Absolutely. Yeah. So, which is, so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, certainly back then, pop culture was a very different creature than it is now. And when you could cross over to a different medium, that's often where you, you found your, your notoriety. And, and that's, you know, that's the case with her. You know, look at the monkeys. <laughs> what, what did they have without their TV show? <laughs> they were a TV show. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh. Not that I'm comparing Shirley Bassey to the monkeys. <laughs> wow. Please don't take, please don't let that be your takeaway from this episode. But a very, a very solid effort by Shirley. In fact, all three of her entries are, you know, uh, one are three of the best. Absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, with this, we get the exit of Sean Connery from the franchise. And with the next movie, it's we time have, to start again. Uh, right. Absolutely. A start again. And an entirely different type of theme song from, from anything that has come before, because an entirely different type of music already. I mean, uh, right. John Barry is not involved with live and let die. And this is, you know, previously everything has been very cool, very, uh, AM gold, if you will. And now we bring in a literal rock star, one of the best known people on the planet uh, Paul McCartney to perform Live and Let Die. Now, granted, obviously, this is not the Beatles. This is Wings. But this is Paul freaking McCartney coming in uh, to usher Roger Moore into the James Bond franchise. And here's here's a tiny little taste of that. When you were young and your heart was an open book. I mean... For me, I know, and this is, this is embarrassing to admit, 
but I'm 39 years old, so shut up. I know this song best from Axl uh, Rose, Guns N' Roses, covering it. Well, uh, one of the things I was going to bring up about this particular song is that out of all of the entries, this this has probably got the most famous cover. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, it's the most famous cover, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and can be regarded as one of the just biggest songs. I mean, you want to talk about a song that outlives uh, the movie uh, that, you know, I yeah. mean. I mean, it, it's by Paul McCartney, and it's a winner. It's not just a throwaway. Yeah, um, yeah. You this know, it's is not like, yeah. And, and well, it's being produced by George Martin. Without me. the support <laughs> of the James Bond movie, this is still a top charting song. Yeah, when George Martin uh, was uh, arranged to do the score, uh, obviously, you know, George and Paul have ties. So um, it was just a, a reunion of sorts for them, and. Uh, yeah, they just again hit it out of the park. I mean, this is this is a classic, no matter how you look at it. And uh, I, I do want to mention because I, I, I overlooked this before. Because quite frankly, who doesn't want to overlook Kanye West? But Diamonds Are Forever, uh, Kanye West remixed that song into, into an excellent remix. Uh, Di- I think Diamonds of the Sierra Madre or something like that. But you know, it's it's I don't know if you call a remix a cover. But it is a modernized version of the song that holds up very well. And yet still, even though he is Kanye West, for whatever that means, not as renowned as Paul McCartney or Guns N' Roses' version of Live and Let Die. No. No, this is a very powerful rock ballad. And uh, In know, its well, own right. I mean, it's yeah, a great yeah. it's a great Bond theme. Uh, some might pick it as the best Bond theme ever. Um, it's hard to argue because it it's a it's a it's a classic track. It absolutely is. It, it's you know for Wings enthusiasts, for Paul McCartney enthusiasts, for Bond enthusiasts, it works equally well for Guns N' Roses enthusiasts. Yes, for Guns N' Roses <laughs> enthusiasts, which there you know there are still some out there. Uh, not that I want to hear Axl Rose sing this in 2016, but you know back in the day, very cool. Uh, moving on to Roger Moore's second effort and my all-time favorite James Bond movie, The Man with the Golden Gun, featuring Christopher Lee as the villain, as Scaramanga. Uh, This one, I did not see it in the theater. It was definitely before my theatrical times, but this is my all-time favorite Bond movie. Uh, And The Man with the Golden Gun, a very powerful theme song, performed by Lulu? Which we will discuss after our three seconds of Bond. Uh, with, with certainly a tinge of the theme song, uh, opens up powerfully with a lot of excitement and kind of bridges the gap a bit between the classic Bond songs and the more modern Bond songs because Live and Let Die did not fit the mold of the prior Bond songs at all. It's an anomaly. Even when you look at what we're talking about tonight in their entirety, Live and Let Die stands out. The Man with the Golden Gun, it's more upbeat. It has a more rocking pattern to it, but it does fit in, I think, a little better with the previous seven songs. But who the hell is Lulu? 
<laughs> Mike Gordon, can you tell me who Lulu is? I I, I don't see. This is uh, a you know a big thing for her. Uh, sure, obviously. I it mean, she me. <laughs> she is a uh, she is English uh, or Scottish or you know somewhere in there in the UK. Um, this is, uh, I believe, her her biggest hit. Now she did a another uh, song, uh, I think from another movie uh, called "To Sir with Love." Uh, oh, is that her? Yeah. Well, which which perhaps more famously to our listeners was covered by Ten Thousand Maniacs. Right. Yes. So it's not like she came out of nowhere, but I don't think in the States she was known as well as, you know, as she was over there. So, and that's fine. You know, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, when the more things, the more time I can't ever fault the producers of Bond for, you know, sticking with Brits. No, no, (laughs) not at all. You know, well, we did it because they were popular in Britain. It's like, okay, I get that. Well, and what matters is it's a great song. I, yeah, I, it's a great song. It's not, it, it's, yeah, it's not on my top, top list. No, no, no. But no. it's a fun track. Um, you know, singing about a guy with a golden gun. Obviously, there's, you know, innuendo there. Um, and again, wait, even wait, though. Wait. Bond and innuendo? <laughs> Mike Gordon, get right out of town. Crazy, I know. But it's there. Just listen. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. And it's one of those ones where you kind of listen and obviously, you know, she's talking about uh, Scaramanga, the villain. But again, if you listen it to a different side, it's like, oh, she could be talking about James as well. Yes, it's it's another one that's very ambiguous. And, and I think that is an intelligent thing about a lot of these theme songs is they point out uh, the, the symmetry between Bond and his villains. Yes, the fact that um, he's not that far away from it. He's like, you know, just a little bit, you know, east of them. Now, Mike Gordon, I want to pitch you something. And I will assume that you have listened to The Man with a Golden Gun by Lulu somewhat recently. <laughs> I want to pitch you this. I think our good friends Radio Cult should do a cover of this song because can't you just hear Bambi Lynn in this I, I would absolutely uh, applaud that. I think that would be uh, awesome. I would love to see it to have them uh, do um, a, a cover album of all the Bond songs. Well, yeah, yeah. Any, I mean, I, but I it's, this one I could definitely like this one because this one, you know, has an orchestra behind it here. But you could see where it, if you stripped it down, it could be a pretty good rock number. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think Bambi Lynn's voice is like I can hear it when I listen to the song. I you know, I, I'm I'm picturing that now. Um, uh, picture might be a, a bad word. <laughs> I'm actually, like audio uh, listening to it, I guess. Um, but uh, I could, yeah, I could see that. So, and, and if the listeners want to hear more from Radio Cult, just Google Radio Cult and check out uh, their website where you can find their music and whatever else. Or uh, no, wait, this will come out after Jolanta happens, so never mind. You missed the opportunity to see Radio Cult at Jolanta. I'm in, I'm in full on promo mode now. Uh, so, but solid song. Really lots of fun. Worked with the movie really well. And obviously yeah. with, when you do a song called The Man with the Golden Gun, uh, there is no separating it from the movie of the same. <laughs> no, not really. No. Uh, You're not going to just like, you know, play this at, you know, someone's bar mitzvah. Right. <laughs> uh, as opposed to the next movie, uh, 
which I totally understand them not wanting to produce a song called Octopussy. Uh, oh no, wait, wait. Hey, you are ahead. Did of I get us. out of order? You get way out of oh, order. Oh, you're right. I am way you out of order. Way ahead. I, I totally like, did. Yeah, yeah. Cause we're, I'm looking at all time high, which granted, I'm right in saying it does not, it is not a song called Octopussy. <laughs> you are absolutely right about that. Uh, but we are moving on to Nobody Does It Better from The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, and this is by Carly Simon. Which I find to be an interesting choice, but uh, let's listen to just a tiny little bit of that, and then we'll talk about it. And we get the opening chords, and that's it. <laughs> but you guys get it. This this one is odd to me because nobody does it better. This one is 100% about James Bond. This one is absolutely about James Bond. Absolutely. This is a love song to James Bond. And I think it's one of the best love songs to James Bond. It, uh, it is. It's, it is. If you were going to make an EP, and for those that are younger and don't know what an EP is, it is a collection of five or six or less songs, uh, produced by an artist. If you're going to make an EP, of James Bond theme songs, this one is on it. Um, absolutely, I think so. It's it's one of the strongest ones uh, in my book. Um, again, you know, this John Barry comes and goes during this period. You know, he's there in 1971, and then you know, when Live and Let Die happens, it's George Martin doing the score. Uh, then John Barry comes back for Man with the Golden Gun, and then he's gone again, and we get Marvin Hamlish, um, a great composer in his own right. Uh, there's a track on the soundtrack, uh, an instrumental track called Bond 77, which is one of my favorite Bond themes. Uh, if people aren't familiar with it, they really need to check that out. It's really good. Uh, it's of its time. It's in the late 70s. Yeah, it's, it's, it's groovy. It's, it absolutely is groovy. That's one you can definitely drive to in your car. Yeah. I mean, it's really a fun. Um, but he gets his old, he gets his friend, Carly Simon, to sing this song. And, uh, she's, she's great. Uh, she's a great choice, especially when you think about it, you know, here she is praising, singing the praises of somebody who, who, who definitely is on top of, uh, well, well, that's the, well, let's go with the on top. Settle down. Right. (laughs) But the fact is, is that her other huge song is you're so vain. So she knows, she knows how to tell somebody, uh, how to tell the difference between someone who's like real and someone who's a faker. Right. Yeah. So like it's, it's actually just perfect. Uh, her vocals are perfect on this. Um, as a guy, when you're listening to this, if you're, you know, you can't help but think that she's singing to you and it just lifts your spirits. I love the idea of this song more than I love the song itself. Uh, it, it's, you know, nobody does it better. It's James Bond. I, you know, I love the concept, but as far as the execution of the song, for me, this is not one of my favorites which is a hard place to be because it is i mean it's one of the seminal bond songs but as far as just sitting around listening to bond songs uh i, I don't I, I love it for what it is more than for the execution 
I love it all the way around. I mean, this is one of my this is a, on one of my top songs. Uh, I, I I love it so much. Um, it's the only well, it's the first time we have a song that is not the name of the movie. However, the name of the movie does appear in a lyric. Yeah. So it it's it's covered. It's, it's there. Good. It's there, right? Um, and uh, it also does kind of start this wave, though. It's so popular and it's so huge that it kind of starts this wave of love songs to James. Yeah. That continues for the next five or six movies. <laughs> yes. And that's unfortunate because uh, yeah. I think if it stood on its own, it would it needs to stand on its own. But instead it gets like a few um, and a couple of them are successful in their own right, but it gets a few move, uh, songs that are just too much like it. But that's how pop culture works. Is, oh, no, is absolutely. you find something that is successful. <laughs> that's and, how studios work. Uh, yeah. And they you find something that's successful and they burn it to the ground. Uh, next, next we move on to one of the more divisive James Bond movies, I think, and a theme song that, uh, well, we'll talk about it. This is Shirley Bassey with her third and final effort, uh, with the James Bond franchise with Moonraker, main title parentheses. Uh, it has influence from, you know, not just the prior James Bond theme songs, but from Shirley Bassey's own uh, pre- prior two songs. I'm not a big fan of this one. It's it's Shirley Bassey, and so I, it, it still ranks pretty high for me. But out of her three, I think it's the weakest one. Uh, I think... It, she's needed to sell this. Like, if they had gotten anybody else, it, this song would probably go down as being one of my least favorites. Yeah, it's it's pretty soft. It's pretty mushy. It, it is. It doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it's not. No. It, yeah, it's not really about James. It's not really about the villain. It's not. It's about a spaceship. Yeah, it's just kind of. <laughs> it's yeah, about the there. Moonraker. Yeah, whatever that is. Right. Yeah, it's... <laughs> now, um, and she made that work before. I mean, what is a Goldfinger? She made that work, you know? <laughs> I would rather have a Goldfinger on me than a Moonraker. <laughs> Although they may not be that different now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and put your Goldfinger in my Moonraker. No. All right. Uh, so, yeah, let's just... we You know, it is what it is. Let's maybe just move on. To the next one, which uh, do you have any further Moonraker thoughts? No, not really. I don't either. Uh, let's move on to one of my personal loves of my life because I did grow up in the eighties. Sheena Easton. Oh, oh Sheena <laughs> Easton for your eyes only, only for you. Now, this one, this is where the 80s started because we have synthesizer, we have effects, 
And we have the lovely, the sexy, the incredible Sheena Easton. This is before she gets involved with Prince now, though. It is, but this is, this is not. This is she uh, is no less sexy for not having yet been involved with Prince. Right? No, absolutely. This is uh, what was that song that she had? The My Baby Takes the Morning Train. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what she was got. That was it. That's what yeah. she was coming off of. Yeah. Uh, and and also, I cannot because this was the first James Bond movie I saw in the theater. And I that movie poster with the lady in and the legs. the very brief bikini with the butt cheeks and the legs that were about eight miles long, and old Roger Moore <laughs> framed framed <laughs> in one of the most influential sets of legs in my entire life. Man, this is a rad song, my friend. <laughs> it wants to hold it like a Christmas lamp. Mm. Um, it's uh it, no absolutely this is I don't I think you know this might have been the first time I'd seen James Bond in the theater as well and uh so impactful to see this movie in the theater it's one of my favorite movies it's uh, not my, one of one, my favorites <laughs> it's it really is one of my favorite James Bond movies uh, I watched it again recently and uh I you know and and opinions are opinions but. Having watched it the other day, I was like, holy shit, this movie does not hold up. I, I, I differ. I, and that's I, fine. I, I that's love fine. it. It's, it's, it's gritty. It's, uh, it's more being like, you know, it's, it's not an epic tale after nobody does it, after Spider Love Me and Moonraker. They're huge. They're just these big budget, epic, world ending, like, movies. Free Eyes Only is a, a nice revenge story. Uh, I think it's, it's Bond, uh, it's, yeah, it's not the end of the world, but it's still pretty cool. I love the, 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 uh, supporting cast in this movie as well. And I love the theme song. I think, you know, this is the first time I can remember a James Bond theme song being played on the radio, like a lot, like this yeah, song yeah, yeah. got a lot of airplay. Yeah, it really did. Um, and I, you know, it's, uh, I don't know what it is. It just didn't drag me in. And maybe it's because I've been going through the Bond movies as, as a bit of a greatest hits. Uh, because, I mean, there are a lot of things to recommend this when you have Julian Glover as the villain, who we know from Doctor Who and from, you know, oh. countless other things. And, uh, the, oh gosh, who is the, I can't remember who the actress is in this one. Um, Carol Bur- uh, Bouquet? Yes. Yeah. One of the most gorgeous Bond girls from the entire franchise, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, tastes will be different. But one of the most striking Bond girls and who has one of the best stories. But just something about the execution of this one watching it the other day, I was just it just didn't it didn't grab me like the other ones. But as far as the theme song goes, which is what we're here talking about tonight, freaking phenomenal theme song. It's solid, and then it continues the sort of like we're in love with Bond and singing his praises, and this is, but this is a little sexier. Um, yes, you know, for your eyes only has you know obviously connotations, and it's and and man, she sells it. You can definitely see her her turning to the prince side. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I you by the end of this song, I am going to show you my cha cha. <laughs> exactly. So. Now, from for your eyes only. Speaking of cha-chas. Yes, because 
Goldfinger, Moonraker, uh, all of these things, Thunderball, are not suggestive enough. We have to now go straight up call our movie Octopussy. Uh, but they did make the move, the intelligent move, of not actually releasing a song called Octopussy because how the heck is that going to go? Uh, we have All Time High from Rita Coolidge. Which opens pretty much like an 80s uh, primetime drama. Yeah, that saxophone. Man, also very, very 80s. And I, I think this is the first time they completely disavow the movie title in the song. And to, from my mind... If you're going to call, if you're going to be brave enough to go ahead and call your movie Octopussy, then damn it, you should you should have the balls to to sing but, it too. But what and rhymes with Octopussy? What rhymes with Goldfinger? Like like <laughs> Goldfinger, obviously. All right, they could have made it work. <laughs> so, uh, I, I I do not care for this track. No, uh, it's not. I, it's, no. it's and it, as a track itself, it's. You know, it's a pale, pale. It, well, it's just a song. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything. Yeah. In the movie, it's just you know. Unfortunately, this isn't you know the Roger Moore ones get kind of uh, bad after I think Your Eyes Only. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and this is just indicative of the franchise at this point. It's like oh, let's just you know put a song on there, and it, it doesn't. It it's you know this is <laughs> when you see. Uh, you know, canon movies with scores that they just throw. Oh, songs. now wait a minute. Hang on. <laughs> now you're just getting ugly. Let me ask you, let me ask you this, Mike Gordon of New Legend Productions. Who the heck is Rita Coolidge? She was pretty, um, not huge, obviously, but, uh, she was a, an R&B star at the time. Yeah. I, I knew, I was familiar with the name. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah. And actually, she wasn't the first choice to sing this one. Uh, they actually, um, I think had a version with, uh, uh, I can't remember who it was. Sorry. No, Laura Branigan. Laura Branigan was the first choice. Yeah. But I don't know that did... name any better than I know Rita Coolidge. Really? Yeah. Oh, Branigan know. was huge. What did she sing? She was in the, uh, in the, in the, in the eighties, she was huge. She sang Gloria. And... Oh, okay. Good enough. Gotcha. All right. Gotcha. I'm so. Good. Um, yeah, that's what they wanted to go with, but yeah, um, I think they felt they needed a little bit more soul, um, I guess, but that, that didn't work out. It didn't really. <laughs> I, I thought, I don't think Laura Branigan would have sold it any better. I just yeah. think it's a, not a very good song. No, the song's not great, but the next song, well, they change it up. Woo, boy, do they. And, uh, check this out, listeners. Oh shit! Yeah, this this is so. So you go from um, you know, uh, after nobody does it better, you've got these like love songs, one after another after another. They just these these sort of uh, Muzak, easy listening, right? Am gold. love love songs yes. to James or about James. And then with View to a Kill, it's like in your face. Enough of that. Pop explosion. Freaking this song 
is the reason I love Duran Duran. It's what got me into Duran Duran. It's why I had a Duran Duran poster up on my wall when I was a kid that my dad hated with a passion because you have these androgynous poofs on your son's wall wearing eyeshadow and lipstick and fancy suits, and it's ridiculous, but man, this song is bad ass. It's, it's I love so- it. It's so good. And I was a Duran Duran fan before this. Uh, I, I, their first album blew me away. I was aware of them before this, but this is what put it over the top. Like, oh my gosh, these guys are doing James Bond's music. They're the coolest people in the world. What, what did it for me with Duran Duran was Seven on the Ragged Tiger. And this song could have been on that album. It's, it's, it has that same feel to it, and uh, and the lyrics make absolutely no sense. No, no. <laughs> um, but and, who cares? But who cares? It's awesome. The video was fun. This yes. is probably the most uh, fun that they ever had with a James Bond video. Yes. Um, it's great fun. Um, and you have to give it props, too, because this song made Pat Boone very angry. What? Wait, yeah, what? Um, yeah, Duran Duran played this song in at Live Aid in 85. And Pat Boone cursed them out. He condemned Duran Duran, made this big sort of for fuss having about a song it. with Kill in it. No, with Dance into the Fire. They were satanic. Oh, like, really? we are trying to raise money for like a good cause and this oh, awareness of this issue. Wow. And this band's coming on singing about dancing into the fire and into the flames and, and it, he would just went off. Well, and, and, uh, and, and real quick, how freaking on the nose is that for James Bond? Dance into the, the fire. Dude, what does he do but that? <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. The imagery, uh, you know, snowflakes on your body. I just like, like, like with most Duran Duran songs, Simon's, Simon's vocal or lyrics just make no sense, but yet they just sound like perfect. Well, and see, I'm a guy that when, when I'm listening to music, I tend to look at the lyrics or I guess listen to the lyrics more as another instrument than ascribing any meaning to him, unless it's really outright. Uh, you know, I don't care that much about the words. I care about how the voice is used and how the words sound more than what they mean. So, I mean, to me, uh, it's great. Oh, yeah. No, no. And and Simon sells it. I mean, this is uh, a great performance. It's all around a great tune, I think. And, and I know people who hate this song, and I think it's Those just because are they're crazy. Well, I do think it's their prejudice against Duran Duran. I, mean, I understand that. People have that, and like, like your dad. And, right. My uh, dad does not love this <laughs> James Bond theme song. <laughs> and uh, but I, I loved it. Um, and uh, I, yeah. And and again, we go back to incorporating the, the title into the song, and it works perfectly. And as much as the lyrics work in this, and it's so strong that it goes <laughs> on to influence the next movie. Uh, because originally Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders had recorded a song and it wasn't deemed strong enough. They wanted to stick with the charting because this song charted. This was huge for the franchise. Uh, and the producers wanted to keep that running. So for the next movie, 
they chose. And now this is a little weird. Uh, we'll get into the story after I play our snippet of Aha with the Living Daylights, which is once again kicking off a new era of Bond because we have Timothy Dalton replacing Roger Moore as James Bond. And this is what we got for the opening theme. Which has a trace of classic Bond theme. Yes. But once you, you can get, tell, you can tell John Barry's involved with Yes. But once you, well, much to the dismay of the aha fellows, John Barry is involved with it, as it turns out. But, uh, this is a weird song, man, because if you're like me, you know aha from Take On Me. Yeah. Which is uh, very different from this song, which is almost like, if if I had to lay down a comparison, this is like if David Bowie worked with Duran Duran. It's it's so different from what I relate Aha to, but it's a fantastic song. It's well, I know more about Aha than uh, you know than the average I'm, fella. Than, well, no, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> but then, like, then just that song. Like I was aware of, you know, I love a lot of their other songs, Sun Always Shines on TV, et cetera, et cetera. Like, like to me, they, they do what they do here. Like, so the living daylight into is, their stuff. Absolutely. Like okay. Take On Me was a, um, was, um, a song that while it was them at their best, it did not reflect entirely like their catalog. Well, so, and that happened a lot in the eighties though, where oh, you sure. would have the big number one c- single wasn't really representative of the band's body of work. Right, right. And look, I, I I I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to get that same vibe that they got with Duran Duran and View to Kill, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it fails miserably. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this oh, one. Oh, I like this one. So, I, I it you know, it, it it yeah, I just I can't get behind it, sorry. Wow. That's interesting. And I like, I like Aha a lot too. Yeah, yeah. So that's well. They, yeah, that makes it yeah. well. And maybe that's the problem, though, is that to you, this is kind of a weak effort from them compared to their other stuff. But to me, this is wow. This is a cool follow up to a View to a Kill. Uh, it's certainly well. I'll save it for the next entry. But uh, so that's that's really for the Living Daylights. Which, you know, I've got to make a little sidetrack here, which we might as well, because this thing's going to be two hours if it's a minute. Uh, I went back and watched both of the Timothy Dalton Bond movies, and I was way too hard on him previously. I think these are both, I think he is a great Bond, and I think both of these movies are much stronger than I gave them credit for back in the day. They definitely have some uh, some great qualities to them. I love Timothy Dalton as Bond. I wish the movies he had done had been better. Uh, overall, I wish he'd gotten a chance to really uh, do a great one. But I understand, uh, you know, well, there was just a lot of unfortunate stuff that happened there. But um, I, I, I certainly uh, agree with you. And I think The Living Daylights is the better of the two movies. Oh, see, I like License to Kill more. I think it is a really good revenge flick. I, I, eh, okay. Well, that's another episode. 
Absolutely. We will, will that that will be the next five years of the Needless Things podcast. We will cover all twenty four Bond films and hopefully the twenty fifth <laughs> film at some point. I will say though that I do think the License to Kill song is better than uh the Living Daylight song. Well so. we will move on to that because I will debate you, but here are a brief few seconds of License to Kill by Miss Gladys Knight. Holy shit. And as you can tell from those brief few seconds, it is straight up revisiting. Uh, this the is Bond. This theme. is this is Barry's last uh, Bond effort, and I think it's perfect. Uh, I think this is uh, this track is is exactly what John Barry like he goes out with. He, this is what he brings to the table. It's a perfect like marriage of his. Uh, you know what? I'm sorry. This is not John Barry at all. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking oh, that. Oh no, Mike Gordon! What no, happened? this is uh, John Barry's gone after Living Daylights. Okay, Sorry. like given Living Daylights is uh, is his last. Oh uh, yeah, and you uh, know what? I, I feel remiss because I didn't fully get into that. Uh, there were a lot of problems between the members of Aha and John Barry. They had a lot of difficulty working together, apparently. Um, but they have at this point aha looks back and says oh yes it was you know we we did what we did and i feel like we made a good track uh but at the time there were a lot of problems and they did did not like working with one another so gladys knight and that's not the only time that that's happened on a bond well which is understandable though because you know if you're john barry there's no way around the fact that you have a pretty big ego about your part in the bond franchise it doesn't mean you should be hard to work with, but I get it. Yeah. So Gladys Knight, who's she working with? Well, uh, there's a few writers on this. Michael Kamen did the score, but there's uh, three other folks that are credited as writing the song. And I think they were just tasked with, you know what? Um, we, we kind of went off rails with aha. So let's bring it, <laughs> let's bring it back to familiar territory. Let's give everybody a, a bond classic. And I think this is a pretty good effort. I really like License to Kill as a song. I think it's, it's, uh, it's strong vocals by Gladys Knight. And, uh, I think it's a, it's one of my, you know, it's, it's one of my favorites to listen to. I, uh, could not disagree with you more. <laughs> this is, and, and, uh, I guess we'll revisit this at the very end, but this is my least favorite of all of the Bond theme songs. I don't care for her vocals on it. I don't care for the tone of the song. Uh, I just don't like it, man. It's, it is too, to me, it feels like a modern R&B song. When I say modern R&B, I'm probably talking more about the mid to late nineties than obviously 2016 R&B. I have a real problem with what R&B was at that time. I don't care for how overproduced it was. And this is very much that to me. Uh, I, I don't like it, man, but that's just me. I, I, no, no, I get it. And it's, you know, I can see your point. I'm not, I wouldn't put it in my top five. Um, but, uh, which we'll get to at the end of the show, (laughs) but, uh, I, you know, I still think it's a strong entry. Well, next up, 
we have uh, really a continuation of, of R&B, depending on your perspective. I, I honestly would consider this artist more of a rock and roll artist, but she she uh, s- easily spans both genres, and that is Tina Turner performing Goldeneye for Pierce Brosnan's first entry into the James Bond franchise. And here's just a just a taste of Miss Turner. Not a whole lot to deal with there for you guys. I apologize, but oh my gosh, I freaking love this song. You know who wrote this, right? No. Bono and the Edge. Really? You yes. know what? That totally makes sense. Absolutely. And totally it makes it even makes it sense. makes it if if you thought to yourself, "Wow, this song couldn't be any cooler." It is now cooler. Well, and uh, you know what's funny is I am <laughs> I am not I'm not a fan of you too. But I tend to like their work outside of U2. Uh, one of my favorite Batman themes is the Edges theme from the oh, Batman right. cartoon. Yep, yep. Uh, I think they make very cool music. And if I do have a favorite era of U2, it's the uh, Zootopia era, Mysterious Ways era. Like Which would have been right about this time. Right. I uh, dig that. I think that. they were also did the Mission Impossible theme as yes, well. Some um, of the coolest pop music that's ever been made. And man, I'm glad you pointed that out because it totally makes sense. And then to put Tina Turner's just purr over it. Yeah. Oh. This song rocks. This is, yeah, yeah, this is a great way. Like I said, for the most part, I, I think that every new actor to play Bond gets a great theme. Yes. Um, um, and this is no exception. It's, and in some cases, it's the best one of the bunch. Um, and I think that's kind of true of this one. Um, not that the others are, are, well, we'll get to those. Uh, but, um, this is such a strong number. Um, and, you know, it's got, look, we've had gold in the song titles. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. when, when you're faced up against gold finger, you know, that bar is set really high. So to come up with a golden song <laughs> that that kind of evokes Goldfinger but doesn't steal from it is is quite an effort. And this song is it's completely it's its own thing, yet it perfectly works with the movie. Um and it it's great on its own right, and it's just it's I think almost just as as good as that one. Yeah, it's man, I Goldfinger is better only in that it is it's it's older and more recognized uh, just because of its place in James Bond history. I I would say Golden Eye I like better as a song. I mean it's just it's fantastic. It's it's really it's just a cool freaking song, man. Yeah, yeah. Um so that moves us on to the follow-up to GoldenEye, which <laughs> I just watched today. And boy, this movie's a freaking mess, but we're not here to talk about the movie. We're here to talk about the theme song, and that is Tomorrow Never Dies by Cheryl Crow. And that gives you literally nothing, but... 
it's a solid song. Uh, it's not immediately recognizable as Cheryl Crow, which is interesting. I would have, I probably, off the top of my head, before I looked it up, would have thought like Fiona Apple. I uh, do not care for Cheryl Crow. Oh my! So this song is one of my least favorite. Uh, the vocals, I think, oh, are, wow. are are really awful. Uh, the mixture, like you said, the movie is a mess. I think this song is a mess. Uh, it starts off and it has these like kind of Russian overtones, these orchestra overtones. Yeah. And then it kind of turns into this sort of rockabilly number. And it just, and with her vocals on it, just doesn't work for me at all. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we, I, I, we yeah. are, uh, we have come back around to disagreeing because, yeah. uh, I, really dig this song uh, more than I dig the movie. And here's the thing about the movie real, real quick. And we can't help, but make asides about the movies. Uh, I like Jonathan price. I like the idea of the villain, but man, there is some scenery chewing that is just unforgivable in this thing. It's, it, it borders on parody of James Bond at times. And, there's just some weirdness, like when Terry Hatcher's character is spoiler alert. When Terry Hatcher's character is killed off, and Pierce Brosnan does this really weird, lingering kiss on her dead body. <laughs> it's, man, come on! It's, it's a it's a weird movie to be sure, um, but it's yeah, I yeah, it's not the worst of the Brosnan movies. At least not in my opinion. I I've I have not gotten back through all of them yet. Uh, the worst one. Well, we'll get to it. We're not there right now. We'll get to the worst one. Uh, the next theme song we're going to talk about, and and I do want it noted. Tomorrow Never Dies by Sheryl Crow. Uh, I dig it. I think it's a cool pop song for its time. I, I listen to it now. I like it. But coming up next. We have what I think is one of the more interesting entries in, into all of the theme songs, and that is The World Is Not Enough by Garbage. Shirley Manson perfectly I just played the song Over Your Words. And oh, I apologize gotcha. for that. It's okay. Sorry. But that's okay because you can imagine what you're going to get out of a garbage in a James Bond theme song. It's, it, you know, I think Shirley's a perfect choice yes. for, uh, to do a vocal, uh, for, uh, a Bond song. And, uh, I think she, it, this is one of my favorites that she wrote, she, they, it sounds like a garbage song, but it also sounds like a James Bond song. Uh, it's a perfect marriage. To well, and it's, it's once again, a British artist. True. Um, and that's not absolutely necessary to succeed, but I, I mean, it's, but it's, it helps because yeah, the last, it gives you points. The last four. Have been American artists, but I also like to. I mean, listening to this song because I think with garbage too. The one of the things I like is is their lyrics and where their point of view, and you get a point of view in this song about the villain. It's, again, it's a song about the villain, but also can be applied to James Little too. But yes, but just the lyrics kind of haunt you um, about you know just how and you know these a lot of the the greed of these villains. Is just you know because you're trying to identify with these these over the top villains that wanted to take over the world, you know? Yeah. And and how can you identify with that? Well, in songs like this, you can. 
So, okay, you're going to have to help me here because, as I said, I have not refreshed myself on the latter two uh, Pierce Brosnan movies. Is this the one with the worst actress in the world in it? <laughs> Am I going to have to go to Wikipedia to look this up and see with Denise, Denise Richards. I, I, I do believe that, uh, I'm looking right now. Listeners, please hang in there. I want to be accurate. <laughs> yes. This is the worst James Bond movie of all time. Thanks to Denise Richards, who is portraying a stalk of broccoli throughout the movie. Uh, no, there's some good stuff in this movie. Uh, there's, I, I believe this is the one with the sword fight. Yeah, and this is the first one we we, we get a a Bond villainess. Yes, um, I don't think it's done as well as I would like, but it's really uh, the first the the only time that it's really done with any and, sort of effort. And Sophie Marceau is fantastic. Absolutely, but uh, my she, gosh, every minute that Denise Richards is on the screen, I want to claw my eyes out of my face. Fortunately, she's not in it as much as she's that. in the is in the climax well, any, though. Yeah, I know. Ugh. But yeah, I agree. She's not the best choice. I mean, there are, unfortunately, with the list of Bond girls, which should now be another show of yours, by the way. Yes. Um, uh, you know, she's right there with Tanya Roberts as being one of the best. So, and I think both of them are sexy in their own right, but yes. the Bond girls Ble- do. Bless her little heart. <laughs> she is sweet. But yeah. my gosh, she never should have made it into a Bond movie. All right, moving on. Uh, into other ladies that never should have been associated with James Bond movies. We have Madonna performing Die Another Day. Here's a few seconds of that. And, uh, boy. That's enough. Yeah, that's more than enough. All right. I, I, I will say this. This song has a great and memorable chorus Everything else about it is utter shit poop. <laughs> I I agree with you to that extent. Uh, <laughs> this this movie is by and large uh, not a great effort, and this song is not a great effort. And uh, I understand Madonna's credentials in getting this gig, but you she know, was in her stupid like raver music phase at the time. I think, I think one of the things that, you know, you talked about, uh, when you think of Bond theme songs is, uh, wonderful, great, impressive female vocalists. Um, Madonna is not one of those. And so we don't get a song with great female vocals. We get her auto-tuned. And, and the last thing that we should hear in a Bond movie, uh, theme is somebody auto-tuned. It, it just does not work. It's, uh, it's and crap in a hat. It, it really is. Um, it, it's it's down there as one of my least favorites as well. And uh, this this is how Pierce Brosnan finishes out his well, run as Pierce. You know, I think one of the saddest part. There's a documentary, a wonderful documentary on the James Bond franchise that uh, I can't, can't even think of the name of it now. But it's 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 really good and. Uh, there's this scene with Pierce and he talks about the end. Um, he didn't know his last Bond movie was his last Bond movie. 
Um, you know, there was after they made Die Another Day, there was a, a, a couple of years passed by and there was legal trouble and whatnot. And then he got the call that he wasn't going to be chosen as the next one or he right. wasn't going to be in the next one. Right. And that's how he found out that he was no longer Bond. So I feel bad that Pierce never got a chance to do like his last Bond movie, knowing that it was going to be his last Bond movie. Right. So um, that's that's just kind of a it's not a it's not soundtrack related, but it's uh, it's kind of a sad note. Well, you can't. I mean, there's certain things that you can't discuss the the music without right. dipping a little bit into the history. So, but the bottom line is, yes, they decided the producers decided we're going to go in a completely different direction and uh, and hire a guy that nobody thinks is going to be James Bond. <laughs> like, yeah, like everybody looked at that casting of Daniel Craig and went. What now? The, at, at the time that Casino Royale came out, we didn't have the degree of internet outrage that we get over things today. <laughs> uh, so there was, you know, there was some discontent, but I would not call it the same kind of outrage that we tend to get now. But to kick off Daniel Craig's run, landmark run as James Bond, we got Chris Cornell performing a song called You Know My Name. Uh, which is not called Casino Royale. And when I first heard that Chris Cornell was doing the song, I was not happy. Uh, I love Soundgarden. I'm not a fan of when they got a little softer later on. And I'm not really a fan of Chris Cornell's solo work. But here is a tad of that song, and we will discuss how it turned out. Obviously, it much, sounds like a Bond song. Yes, it does, <laughs> and it's so fucking good. It really is. I did not want to. Well, I didn't think that I would like it. I'm not going to say I didn't want to like it because, of course, I wanted to like it. It's a James Bond theme song, but I I thought there was no way. And when I sat in the theater and that kicked in, uh, my brain just went, "Holy shit, it's James Bond!" And even though the song is not called Casino Royale. Um, and it doesn't even mention Casino Royale in the lyrics. So it's, we're really going off on a, you know, uh, uh, and this would be the case for like now on really, but with, one, fits, with one exception. It fits the theme of the movie well, better yes, be- than a song called Casino Royale would have. Right. Well, yes and no. I mean, look, if they had decided to put their heads together and make a song called Casino Royale, who knows? That could have been classic. We don't know, but here's what we do know. That that Chris singing, you know my name, with everything changing, you're not really sure what's going on. It doesn't start like a normal James Bond movie. It doesn't. This isn't a guy that you think of when you think of James Bond. It's not. It's this is a really different experience. I mean, heck, the movie starts in black and white. You're just kind of like going, what's going on? Then you hear this song, and it sounds Bondish, and Chris is saying as if Bond in in Bond's voice is saying. Come on, guys. You know me. Right. Right. Like this is it's going to be OK. You know that you know me like just trust me. And it's got that feel to it. And it 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 coaxes you through. Yeah, it absolutely does. And the opening titles are some of the strongest they had had in years. It's a uh, it's also kind of a play on the joke that James Bond is the, the most famous secret agent in. Yes. Yes. 
which is an absurd thing that, that, that throughout the history of the films they've acknowledged a, a few times up to and including killing Sean Connery only to have everybody almost immediately know he's alive and who he is again yeah. within like half an hour of the film. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Chris Cornell, super strong start to the new era of James Bond followed up by, uh, Alicia Keys and uh Oh, Jack White, Jack White. <laughs> my, my, uh, screen cut off at J A C. Uh, Alicia Keys and Jack White with Another Way to Die, which is really weird because that sounds like the name of a James Bond movie, but the <laughs> movie was called Quantum of Solace. So here's, here's a bit of that. Uh, also, very cool song. Yes, I love this track as well. This one is... It's complicated. They, the white and keys, uh, complement each other so well. Her, yeah. you, this is not a question. This is not a case where the vocal is, uh, the vocals are, are bad. I mean, Alicia Keys is, it, she could have done any one of these Bond theme songs. Well, and how interesting is vocals. it? You know, Alicia Keys, she could have come in and done something much more classical, yeah. uh, piano piece. I mean, you know, that's kind of what she's known for. But man, working with Jack White, just this badass riffing, uh, an almost seventies fuzz on it. Just, it's almost it's got a it's got a deep funk to it. Yes, it's almost a way of reassuring us. Uh yes, this is a different Bond. But it's the same bond. Hang in there. Yeah, and you look, you're right. Even though it's not a song called "Quantum of Solace," um, <laughs> it it is still indicative of James Bond. Um, just like you know, my name is 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 singing like you know, it's the voice of James Bond. Really, um, another way to die is kind of that sort of like this. You know, his his hazardous occupation. Um, is is the subject of this song, and it and it works completely. Yeah, her and it's her, not and it's not the guns that to be afraid of. It's not the secret weapons. It's not the lasers. It's the people. Uh, yeah, and, and that's what I love about this song and this in the lyrics. So, a, a very cool song. Just it sets a tone that you know. In all honesty, Quantum of Solace didn't necessarily follow through on. Uh, I dug it all right, you know, as a movie. It it carried along the story that was set down by Casino Royale. Uh, but I, I can't say I walked out of there totally satisfied and loving it. I, I, I just read uh, this little bit that says, Another Way to Die does feature the word solace in the second stanza. <laughs> So well, good, good, good for good for Jack for trying to trying yeah. to make it relevant. Good job there. <laughs> um, um, I also wanted to point out uh, also with Casino Royale, one of the things that uh, was annoying to me with the new regime of these Bond songs and soundtracks is that the singles are no longer the themes are no longer included with the soundtrack. Like if you bought the soundtrack to Casino Royale, you'd still have to go and 
pay and buy uh, You Know My Name. Yeah, um, that's ridiculous. The same thing with Quantum of Solace. You can buy the soundtrack, but then you have to buy separately. Now, granted, it's an only another 99 cents, or back in the day it was. Now it's one ninety nine, So it's not going to break you. But it, it's kind of like when you're trying to organize your playlist and, you know, if you're anal like me, you're trying to figure out, like, you want everything complete like that. It, it's kind of annoying. Like, yeah. That, if I'm going to buy the soundtrack, just have all the songs on there, please. Yeah, that's that's The main silly. song would be nice. Well, and it's a different situation than something like, um, like the Tim Burton Batman, where you had Prince's soundtrack and then you had the score as yes. two separate entities. That's one thing. But yeah. when you only have one pop music song as part of your movie, just throw it on the score, dum-dums. <laughs> exactly. Please. Absolutely. Uh, next up, we have Skyfall, which is the follow-up to Quantum of Solace, which is uh, a more, you know, the Daniel Craig movies had more of an ongoing narrative than, than anything we had seen before. They very much led into each other, which we found out, you know, more than anything in Spectre. Uh, but Skyfall performed by Adele, who is a very popular person who I am mostly not familiar with. And this was not included on the album that I purchased. And I, I kind of wanted to make a point of this. I don't remember this song at all. I will trust that Mike Gordon has been a better podcaster than me and has listened to this song prior to us recording this. Uh, it clocks in at one of the lengthier James Bond theme songs. How did Skyfall go down? Um, I love this song. Okay. Uh, I think uh, Adele is perfect uh, as of, you know, we're talking about female vocalists or vocalists in general. Uh, she has that credibility. Um, I actually like her solo work as well her non-James Bond work, if you will. Um, and I think she's a perfect fit. And I think Skyfall, again, returning to having the name of the title in there. Uh, and actually, you know, so it is, it is, the, the, the lyrics are pretty relevant as well. Um, and it's got a Bond theme in the, in, the, in the sort of background that you can hear. It's orchestral. It kind of brings us back to... Um, uh, the, the days of the old classic themes. Um, because that's one thing. I mean, you can, even though, uh, Cornell, Jack White, you know, these guys rock it and they, they really have these great rocking tunes. There still is that James Bond element to them that, but it's more of a frenzy, uh, Bond, not the, right. the classic sort of, um, instrumental. I don't want to say, uh, you know, easy listening. Because uh, I don't want to like insult it, because I really like some of that music as well. Um, but just the ballads, let's say. Um, and this is one of the great. I think this is one of the great uh, Bond ballads. I'll have to go back and revisit it then. Yeah, I, I really, I really like this song a lot. And that brings us to what is, as of now, the most recent James Bond theme song, "Writings on the Wall." By a gentleman named Sam Smith, who I am not familiar with, and and I do not have an audio sample of this one to play, but I'm going to trust that our listeners have all seen Spectre, and if you haven't, shame on you for listening to two hours of James Bond podcast. <laughs> if you haven't even seen the newest movie, uh, lots of mixed receptions on this one. As a matter of fact, your, your station mate, Mike Faber, referenced this as the worst of the James Bond theme songs. I really dug it. 
a lot. Uh, it should be feelings? noted too. It should be noted too, um, and this is reference. This is uh, Skyfall was the first. This is amazing to me. The first Bond song to ever win an Oscar. What that 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 is amazing to me. Um, I mean, you know, with all the other songs we just talked about, the twenty-two other songs. How how that none of them won at least once I, I I have no idea but Skyfall won best Oscar, Writings on the Wall also uh, got an Oscar so two in a row I uh, agree with that What are your feelings on this one I'm not as high on this one uh, oh. Sam Smith's a really good vocalist and uh, I I I'm not saying that uh, he's not uh, but the song to me is just kind of bland it doesn't really oh, wow. it doesn't really hit me. To me, this one felt like you were saying, like a return to some of the more classic stuff. I really dig, uh, his vocals, you know, being unfamiliar with this guy, I don't know what he does. The alternating between sort of a standard male singing voice and this falsetto that he does. I like kind of the point counterpoint feel to it. I like the music of it. And obviously writings on the wall. Uh, you know, that's a loaded title, if anything is. Because Absolutely. we, yeah. you know, going into Spectre, there were already rumblings of Daniel Craig <laughs> is leaving. We don't know, you know, with the status. We didn't even know we were going to get Spectre because MGM had all kinds of issues, that uh, financial issues. We didn't know if we were going to get another James Bond movie from them. I mean, obviously, another James Bond movie was inevitable at some point. But there was a time after Skyfall where the future of the James Bond franchise was very much in doubt. Uh, so the, this writings on the wall, I found to be a very, uh, uh, lots, lots of attached to that title. And I think it's a solid song and it's a great opening for a great Bond movie. I, I really dig it. But not not just that too, and I will give credit to that title as well as some of the lyrics too, because not only is it indicative of the fact that you know the writings on the wall that it might be his last movie, but the whole subplot of the last four movies uh, or these four movies are that throughout James Bond's life, somebody has been orchestrating things. Yes. And so, like, in, in the inspector, we find out the revelation of who that person is. So, like, really, like, the writing's been on the wall all this time. He just hasn't seen it uh, or been able to decipher it. So um, I do like that aspect of it. But, again, it just um, it just doesn't – it's not my – It's it, I'm not going to go as uh, – I'm not doing it a favor – and, uh, and, and saying it's the worst one. Um, I, I just found it kind of lacking, uh, just a personal choice of mine. And, you know, it just, it just, it doesn't work for me as well as others. Uh, it, again, it's not the worst. It's not the best. It's just kind of there. I get it. I understand. Uh, so having discussed all 24 James Bond theme songs. It is time to wrap this thing up. That's so much fun, man. Uh, yeah. So much fun. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like talking about James Bond? But, but to get specific about the songs, which is such an important piece of the Bond puzzle. Uh, it's, it's a good time. So, uh, what I want to do is each of us 
just and we don't have to discuss them any further because we've talked about all the songs, but run down your top five uh, James Bond songs. They don't have to be in any order, but end with your favorite. Are you, are you ready or you want me to do it first? Well, um, I'm ready. I do have a question, though. I yes. know we're not counting uh, the James Bond theme from 62. Right. All right. Are we counting on Her Majesty's Secret Service? Yes. Okay. I yes. just want to make sure. I, I think so, yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. Yeah, I'll go first. I don't mind. Okay. Um, and I'll count up even though the order will change – you know, depending on my mood. Like if I wrote this five minutes from now, like I'm like my number five choice. I'm kind of like, really? I could go with something else. (laughs) Uh, You know, but anyway, uh, so we'll start with number five. We'll say GoldenEye. Number four, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number three, Nobody Does It Better. Uh, Number two, Live and Let Die. And number one is Goldfinger. Ah, very nice. Yeah, I can't, I can't dispute that a bit. I mean, that's, that, that could be anybody's list, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 in some ways, you want to go against the norm. I know. Because you're kind of like, oh, well, everybody says Goldfinger. But, but of you, course. You, there's certain things you just can't deny. Yeah. Well, <laughs> unless, unless you're me. <laughs> uh, so here, here are my top five. Uh, my number five is The World Is Not Enough. Which that almost I, made my number five. I'll go ahead and admit I I love Garbage. Garbage are one of my favorite bands, absolutely on the planet, and that definitely colors their entry into the list. Uh, number four, Diamonds Are Forever. I I just man, that song is is haunting and powerful and beautiful. I absolutely love it. Number three, Live and Let Die. Is man. I mean, I'm not even a Beatles fan. I'm not even a Paul McCartney fan. But that song, to me, is the Roger Moore, like, that's just such a powerful entry point. It changed everything. Uh, and then we have GoldenEye. Just, it was hard for me to choose my number ones. GoldenEye was almost my number one. Because the music is so good. Tina Turner's vocals are so good. Uh, but my number one favorite, and this is my favorite. I, I don't know that it's the best. It's my favorite of you to a kill. Nice. Dude. I, I, I give you credit for oh, that. I, I it's, just love it's it. It's so good. It's the one that every time I hear it, I'm just like doing kung fu in the air if nobody's around. I, I love that song, man. There are really, really, I mean, it's a credit to the franchise as a whole. I mean, for f- over 50 years, 24 movies, uh, for them to give us so much good stuff, um, it is amazing and a credit to the franchise, but also, you know, just focusing on the songs that we've been focusing on. Um, you know, obviously we've disagreed, but we all have ones that we didn't work for us for sure. whatever reason. Sure. And ones that just ring true better than anything. Um, but the fact of the, you know, there's, I think out of the list of 24, there's three duds. I'll take those like percentages any day. Like that's amazing. Oh, for sure. That's just, you couldn't buy. I mean, think, look at the music industry that you and I grew up with. If you bought an album and there were only three duds on it, you were happy. <laughs> you were ecstatic. Right. Right. <laughs> well, so, uh, Mike. Thank you so much for coming on and spending a couple hours talking about James Bond theme songs of all things. 
<laughs> Absolutely. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for the invitation. Where can we find you online and what are you up to now? Uh, you can find me online uh, at, uh, of course, the ESO podcast, esopodcast.com, the weekly show, Earth Station One, where you can hear me talk more about uh, just crazy stuff uh, that I just love to give my uh, unwarranted opinions on. And uh, also, I, I do write, uh, publish, uh, self-published comics. Uh, Tiki Zombie is my creation, and you can find all of that good stuff at newlegendproductions.com. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for coming on, man, and I'm sure we will be talking to you sooner than later. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. I, I apologize for that. That was terrible. But it was the only way we were going to get that sting. Uh, and one more time. So I'm sitting here, and I'm watching TNA Impact or, or Impact Wrestling on the pop TV or, or whatever. Because the main event is Kurt Angle's final match of all time forever in TNA against Bobby Lashley, who I, uh, Kurt Angle is a phenomenal wrestler, one of the great, all-time greats, surefire WWE Hall of Famer someday. And Bobby Lashley, I like quite a bit. He should never talk, but he's great in the ring, explosive, powerful, creative. I always enjoyed him, so this is going to be a big match. I'm, I'm curious about it, but I haven't watched TNA in a couple of years because it's nigh unto unwatchable. And so far, the show's been a little bland. The matches have been a little short. It hasn't been as horrible as the last time that I watched it. Elijah Burke is on commentary, and I find it to be like Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey doing Dusty Rhodes, which is not a good thing. Uh, but overall, it's it's fine. There's nothing special about it except for the six-sided ring. I would love for it to be great again. I'm an old-school TNA guy. I was watching in 2002 when they started, and I miss that a lot. But uh, anyway, that's it. Go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, download us, rate us, spread the word. Please join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. Tell us what you think. Shoot me an email, phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. And uh, I'll see you at Jolanta tomorrow and Sunday, hopefully. Be there or don't. Uh, if you missed it, I'm sorry, but Jolanta 2017 will happen. And I'll see you there because I love you guys.